great to see all of you here today on this Easter weekend. Um, my name is Joe Williams, and I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and we're just thrilled that you are worshiping here with us tonight. And if you're looking for a church, I would love to invite you to come back and be a part of what's happening here. God's doing some wonderful things here, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. Hey, uh, Mark Jones wrote a book one time called Lost and Found, and in that book he tells this remarkable story that uh, was told in Mark Jones' book called Lost and Found. It's a story of a guy named Frank Clements. It's a remarkable story. Frank Clements, when he was a little boy, he dreamed of flying airplanes, just like a lot of little boys do, but his dream came true. This was all coming true during World War II, and he joined the Air Force and became a pilot, and uh, he was soon flying dangerous missions over the English Channel into France and Germany. Frank was from a small town in Texas called Big Springs, Texas, and his family were all members, their whole lives have been members of the 4th Street Baptist Church. And this is a church that really rallied behind Frank. They prayed for him often. The pastor of the church, whenever he got updates about Frank, he would share it with the church. And like I said, they, they prayed for him a lot. One day, they got tragic news in Big Springs, Texas. Lieutenant Frank Clements was missing in action. Now his father, Mr. Clements, he, when he heard this news that his son was missing in action, he grabbed his wife and they ran down to the church and they met with the pastor and they spent the rest of the day praying and asking God to protect their, their son. But not long after that, they received that dreaded telegram. You know the one that says, greetings. We regret to inform you that your son, Frank Clements, was killed in action over the English Channel. We extend our deepest sympathies. And as you can imagine, this family was absolutely devastated. This church was devastated by the news. The memorial service for Frank, um, they, they say that it seemed like the entire town of Big Springs, Texas, came out and was a part of this memorial service. But there's a problem Frank Clements didn't actually die. This was a bad case of mistaken identification. Frank Clements was shot down, but he survived the crash, and he was picked up by allies and, and sent back to his home base. There was another pilot who had the same name. He was indeed shot down, and, when they were, and he passed away. And when they were sending out the notices, they sent the wrong notice to the wrong family. And so his family back home is mourning his loss, but their son was very much indeed alive, and he had no idea of the mistake that was made. Well, because he had survived such a, an ordeal, the military gave him some leave, and so he went home. And like a lot of soldiers at the time, and like today, it's going to be a surprise visit. So he gets on a boat, and it takes him a week to cross the Atlantic. He gets to New York, he hops on a train to Dallas. From a train station in Dallas, he got on a bus to Big Springs, Texas. He gets off the bus and he decides he's just going to walk home. It's a small town. He walks to his house and remarkably, he did not cross paths with anyone he knew on the way to his house. He gets to his home and his father's workshop just off the garage. He hears noise. He knows his father's out there just like he is every day. He walks up to the doorway. His father has his back to the door and he just watches his dad work for a few minutes. And then after some time went by and the anticipation inside of him is just about to explode, he says, hi dad. 
and his father froze in place. And after a few awkward seconds, the son said again, Hi, Dad. And his father turned around, and he saw his son. And he runs to his son, and he scoops him in his arms, and he just embraces, and he holds him, and he starts to cry. This is a completely the unexpected response from Frank. Because Frank's father, he's always been more of a handshake dad, not a hug dad. Anybody grew up with a handshake dad, not a hug dad? He'd never seen this kind of emotion from his father. And he just wept, and he wouldn't let go of his son. Finally, after what seemed like a long time, he let go, and he looked at his son. And he runs inside, and he gets his wife. She comes out, same kind of emotion. The story goes that Frank's dad ran down the streets of Big Spring, Texas that day, shouting like a crazy man, He's alive! He's alive! He's alive! The newspaper, the very next day, they ran a huge front page headline that says, Lieutenant Frank Clements returns alive. Now that's a remarkable story. The only way that story could be more remarkable is if Lieutenant Frank Clements actually did die and it was verified and then he came back to life. But let's be honest, that would be ridiculous. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus, he died on a cross, he was buried in a tomb, and his death was verified by many people, but three days later, he's back. And that, my friends, is what we are celebrating today. That's why we sing the songs that we are singing today. That's why there's a spirit of joy and celebration in the church today, because Jesus is alive. If you got your Bibles, would you go ahead and open to John chapter 20 this morning? And uh, if you have downloaded our app, you can download it real quick. All the scriptures we're going to read today is going to be on the app. They're going to be on the screens behind me as well. And if you really didn't have a Bible and you wanted to take one, they're all over around in the seat pockets around you. And I looked it up before I came here. John chapter 20 is on page 768, if that helps you. And uh, so I want you to follow along as the best that you can, as best you can today. We've been in a series for the last several months as a church um, through the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is the fourth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It was written by a man named John. He was a personal friend of Jesus. He was one of his disciples. And when John was an old man, probably the very last disciple of Jesus still alive, he sits down and he writes this account of Jesus' life. It's an eyewitness account. These are the things that he personally saw about Jesus. That is the Gospel of John. And he wrote extensively about Jesus' final days, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. When you come to John chapter 20, it's when John, that's the part where he's writing about that early Sunday morning when the tomb opened up and Jesus came out. So you got John chapter 20 open. Let's read a few verses together. Let's hear what John says. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. If you've been with us in our study, you know that John never refers to himself by name in his gospel. He always refers to himself as the other disciple 
or the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, This is, we, we know it's John because of the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They highlight this is John, but he never calls himself that. But basically what he's saying, Mary Magdalene came running to the disciples and she told me and Peter that the body was gone. She said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and, don't, and we don't know where they have put him. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciple, John, started for the tomb. Both were running. Now that's a very undignified thing for a man to do in this day and age, back then. To run, that would be considered improper, but they're running. Both were running, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So we know this. John's in a little bit better shape than Peter. All right? If you don't remember anything else, remember, you know, John, a little bit better shape than Peter. I don't know, they outran him. He bent over and looked at in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, he went inside. He saw and believed. Verse 9, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, a couple details just to help bring this, bring this account to further clarity. It's a Sunday morning. For them, it's the first day of the week. For us, it's still the weekend. But for them, it's like, hey, the weekend is over. The Passover is finished. It's time to get back to work. And, and Mary, she's heading out to the tomb. We know that it's still dark outside. The other Gospels tell us that it's right around sunrise. So the sun, it's almost time for it to come up. There's not a whole lot of light. It's fairly dark. It's the early, early mornings. So Mary heads to the tomb. This is not Jesus' mother. I don't want you to be confused here. Mary Magdalene is a different Mary altogether. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary Magdalene was part of a group of women that were also followers. She became a follower of Jesus during his ministry. She is heading to the tomb, and she's going there because she had prepared spices and perfumes. These are embalming things to prepare Jesus' body uh, for, for burial. So she's going there. To do this. Now, you might remember if you've read the story, if you've been with us through our study, Jesus was taken down off the cross by a man named Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea, to be exact. Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. What that means is he was part of the religious circle that crucified Jesus, that wanted him dead. But we learn this detail in John's Gospel. He was a secret follower of Jesus. In other words, he was kind of like a man on the inside. I don't know how connected he was with the disciples, but he was a secret follower. Luke tells us that not once did he ever give his consent to crucify Jesus. But he kept it all quiet because he was afraid of what his colleagues might do to him. And you know what? I can understand this just a little bit. Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, I need to stand up and say something for Jesus, but I'm not going to because of all of them. Because you don't know what the response is going to be like. That's Joseph times like a thousand. He knows the kind of response. They're going to kill him too. You're not going to be one of us and follow Jesus. So he's a secret follower. But now 
what seems like was he was kept secret now is kind of like coming out in the open. He goes to Pilate. I want Jesus' body. I want to take care of it. And Pilate gives it to him. There was a man named Nicodemus, the Bible tells, that helped him with this. Now, Nicodemus was somebody, you might recall from our study, that we first meet way back in John chapter 3. This is the religious leader who came to Jesus at night, the cover of darkness. He didn't want the world to know that he was talking with Jesus, but he had questions, significant questions. Do you remember what one of those questions was that came up? What does it mean to be born again? Jesus says to Nicodemus that night in John chapter 3, what has become perhaps Jesus' most famous words. John 3, 16, he says, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So Joseph and Nicodemus. Nicodemus probably is now a follower of Jesus too, Seems like neither one of them is concerned that anybody else knows at this point. They want to prepare Jesus' body. They want to take care of it. Nicodemus brings about 75 pounds of spices and alloys. Again, embalming material. And they have to do it fast because of the Passover. And they do what they can as quickly as they can. And they lay Jesus' body in the tomb that was very close to the execution site. Now, there's a detail that Luke gives us in his gospel about these women, and this is why John is bringing up Mary Magdalene. You don't need to turn over there, but in Luke chapter 23, we learn this about some of the women that were around in that moment. Verse 55 says, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph to the tomb and, how his, and, and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in accordance, in obedience to the commandment. So this is Samari Magdalene. She's part of a group of ladies that saw what had been done to Jesus' body. They, they saw how far Joseph and Nicodemus got with Jesus' body until he couldn't do any more, where they put his body in the tomb. And now, on Sunday morning, they're coming to finish the process. Joseph and Nicodemus didn't get it completed fully, the full embalming, but they got his body wrapped, they got him in a tomb, and now Mary and these other women are going to come and finish. Now, John doesn't talk about the other women. We know they were there. He chooses to follow Mary Magdalene's story and, and what happened to her in those early mornings of the resurrection. But we know that there was a small group of ladies that were together. And as they're walking to Jesus' tomb in the darkness, do you know what their conversation was about? They were wondering, who is going to move this stone away from the grave? We don't think we have the strength to move it. We're going to need some help. And so they're kind of talking about this. Who's going to move this stone? And to much to their surprise, they get there. The stone is already rolled away. These circular stones, they used to fit in a track in front of a, a carved out tomb from a cave, and they would roll it out of the way. So the stone is moved, and the grave is wide open. And to much of their surprise, Jesus' body, the body that they had seen laid in the tomb and sealed off, is gone. And so they run back to the disciples and they tell them this story. The body is gone. In Luke's gospel, we learn this little detail that when the women came running back to tell the disciples, the disciples did not believe them at first. 
In fact, the, the Bible says that it was like crazy talk. They, they, they didn't understand. They didn't follow what they were trying to say. And I find it remarkable. I don't know if you do, but I find it remarkable that Jesus' disciples and his followers all together did not expect or believe that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. This was a complete shock to them. Now, we know from the scriptures that they weren't connecting all of the dots. I mean, they, they, they didn't understand fully how all this, they didn't understand all of Jesus' words. They, they weren't expecting it. And I, I find that remarkable. John tells us this little detail. We just read it in verse 9. It says that they did not know from the scriptures that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. Do you, do you know what John's admitting here? Remember, he's writing this as an old man years later. And he's saying, you know what we didn't understand in this moment when we were looking in the tomb on that day? We didn't understand yet how all the scriptures led up to Jesus. Now, when he says the scriptures, what's he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. That's the only scriptures they had. They didn't have the New Testament yet. These guys would write the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. What, what John's acknowledging is, in that moment when Jesus came back to life, we didn't understand all the prophecies yet. We didn't understand the things that Isaiah and David and Zechariah were saying about the Messiah and how he would come back. We didn't understand that yet. We didn't fully understand what God was doing through the nation of Israel. We didn't understand how the temple played into it and the sacrifices and what Jesus would do. We didn't understand it all. But we know later that they did. And that's why you read the Gospels today and they are full of references to the Old Testament that all point to Jesus. They didn't understand it in that moment, but they understood it later, and they pointed out to us. John has done that many times in his gospel. Here is what leads up to Jesus. I understand it now. So you have this moment here. That they're not connecting all the dots. They certainly don't understand how all the scriptures fit together, but what did they see? What dots were they connecting? They're, Peter and John are at the tomb, and they see strips of linen that was used to wrap up Jesus' body. The strips of linen that were soaked in this embalming material, alloy, spices, perfumes. And they were laying there perfectly. You, you remember from our, our study in going back to John chapter 12, when Lazarus died. And he was in the tomb for four days. And Jesus shows up, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. And do you remember the detail about Lazarus' body when it came out? He was still wearing his grave clothes. These strips of linen soaked in these embalming materials. That's what he was wearing as he came out of the tomb. They also saw the, the towel that wrapped around Jesus' head lying there in its place. The Bible says it was separate from the, the linens, but it was lying in its place. Some translations say folded some say rolled but the intention is what they're trying to say is it was lying there as if like all of it was as if jesus had just raised and passed through the 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 burial clothes and they were just staying there perfectly in place that's the impression we get from the gospels it was undisturbed as if jesus just came out and they stayed behind perfectly in their place as you read the Gospels, it's, it's an interesting thing to me that when Jesus' body was discovered, it was missing. The ones that wanted him dead remembered that he had predicted it. 
Bible's very clear about that. They remembered that he said that he was going to raise to life. And instead of that moment, them saying, wow, we got this wrong. We need to repent. That's not what happened. They said, you know what? It's time to lie about this. Now, there were guards at the tomb. They saw the whole thing. And uh, these religious leaders paid those guards a huge sum of money to spread this lie that the disciples stole the body. But you know, when I think about that excuse and that lie, and we know that that was a lie that kind of was spreading through the world in that day, even the disciples reference that some people still believe this lie even to this day. I think about how that falls apart. You know, grave robbers, they do not carefully unwrap a corpse and then leave the grave clothes neatly behind. That's happened never in history. In fact, with the presence of all the strips filled with spices and alloys and perfumes, remember we're talking 75 pounds plus of this stuff, all in the folds. It would be almost unimaginable that they could have unwrapped Jesus' body and not damaged the grave clothes. And, and, and nobody is going to take a head cloth off a dead body and then put it neatly back where they found it. No, Jesus passed right through them as if he rose from the dead, and that's exactly what happened. You know, and you probably know this, for centuries, people have been trying to explain away the resurrection. People have come up with all kinds of crazy ideas to try to say, no, he didn't really die. He didn't really resurrect from the dead. No, it was this. It was that. None of those hold up. You know, years ago, there was a very popular theory. There was a, this explanation that was being passed around, and people were actually believing this for a while. There was this lie that said, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't actually die like everybody thinks. He fell asleep on the cross. And then when they took him down off the cross and they put him in the cold tomb, he kind of woke up and he left. They call that the swoon theory or he fell asleep on the cross. It's kind of like saying professional executioners didn't know a dead body when they saw it. That's what they're saying. So, so there's, a, there's a guy from, um, that lived during the 20th century, a really famous theologian and pastor. His name was J. Vernon McGee. Maybe you're even familiar with his Walk Through the Bible series that he did. Back um, in the 60s, huge, when radio ministry was big, um, and he was very, very popular. And uh, he died about 1989, I believe. Well up in his 80s. During the height of that radio show, there was a lady who wrote him a letter. And this letter said this. She said, Dear Mr. McGee, our preacher said that on Easter, Jesus just swooned, fell asleep on the cross. And his disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think about that? Well, if you know James Vernon McGee, he was very much a biblical man and believed very much in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And I love his letter back to her he said oh dear sister beat your preacher with a leather whip <laughs> it gets better beat your preacher with a leather whip for 39 heavy strokes nail him to a cross hang him in the sun for six hours run a spear through his heart embalm him put him in an airless tomb for three days and see what happens 
Lie about the resurrection. That's what the religious leaders of the day did. Make up crazy theories about the resurrection. That's what people have been doing for centuries. None of them have stood up. At the end of the day, only one truth remains. Jesus actually rose from the dead. And in verse 8, John saw and he believed. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. He saw the head wrap lying there, all perfectly in its place, and he believed. And I would also argue it's what he did not see. He did not see the body of Jesus. You add all that up, and he said, in that moment, I believed. And I would wonder that perhaps as he's standing there in the tomb, and he's wondering about these things, if the words of Jesus weren't starting to come flooding back into his mind. Like the one time that Jesus was with his disciples and they were walking near the temple. And he said, you see all these stones? Knock them all down and I'll rebuild it in three days. All the disciples thought he was talking about the temple, which took years to build. Nobody can rebuild it in three days. They had no idea in the moment that Jesus was talking about himself. Tear me down, I'll come back in three days. Jesus also talked to his disciples about Jonah. Remember the prophet from the Old Testament? That got swallowed by a big fish running away from God. He said, you know, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and then came out. The son of man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and come out. Maybe as John was wondering about the empty tomb, he was remembering what Jesus told him about Jonah. Maybe John was remembering the two occasions when Jesus announced that he was going to resurrect from the dead three days after he dies. Matthew 16 and Matthew 20. Maybe he's remembering that. Maybe John now, for the first time, is fully understanding what Jesus told him on the previous Thursday. Just a few days before. The Son of Man is going to suffer and die. Three days later he's going to come back. And I'll go ahead of you guys into Galilee. At any rate, John, in that moment, saw and he believed. And there's little doubt in my mind that when John is writing this account of Jesus' life years later, what he's talking about himself, how he saw and believed, he is going to connect that thought with something else that happened that very night and again that happened a week later. Let me show you what I'm talking about. If you want to jump down to verse 19, John is going to continue talking about the rest of the day. The rest of the day, the disciples gathered together that evening. They were in probably what is the upper room, the same room where they had the, the Last Supper and all of that. They're gathered together. The Bible gives us some key details. The doors were locked. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders. You know, they spread this lie. The disciples stole the body, and perhaps now they're coming after the disciples. So they're all huddled together. They've got the doors locked. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. Okay, just comes right in. And he greets them. Look at verse 19. This is the day of the resurrection. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Why is that important? Because even resurrected, his body still had the nail marks in his hands and the pierce in his side. He showed them these things. 
and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, up to this point, on this incredible day, only a few people had seen the resurrected Jesus. Mary saw him early in the morning. We, we know that there were a couple of followers who were leaving Jerusalem that day, and they were on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus came and appeared to them. And then after Jesus left, they run back to the disciples, and they tell him, we've seen the risen Lord. There is a reference in Scripture, we don't know a lot about it, but it says that Peter also saw the resurrected Lord, but the whole of Jesus' disciples had not seen him yet until this moment. They'd only heard about it, but this moment is when they saw him. And there was one disciple who was missing, though. Do you remember who his name was? Thomas. And Thomas said this in verse 25. He said, hey, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I don't know where Thomas was that night. I don't know if he was out buying groceries and he missed it. I don't know if he was running some errands for the guys. But when he comes back, he's like, Thomas, you missed it. Jesus was just here. And he goes, eh, I don't believe it. But when I see it, I will. Fast forward one week. Same set of circumstances. All the disciples gather together. Doors are locked. Jesus appears. But this time, Thomas is with them. And if you look down in verse 27, Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. This is a completely different response than before. It's like, now I have seen with my own eyes and I believe. And then Jesus says this in verse 29. And this is, I have no doubt, this is what John was connecting back to verse 9. In fact, if you're somebody that writes in your Bible, circle verse 9, circle verse 29, and draw a straight line to it. You're not committing any sins drawing in your Bible, I promise, okay? You draw right there. Don't use the church Bibles, though. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can draw on those with pencil. Anyway, no, I'm, I'm joking. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I just want you to see, verse 9, verse 29 are two connecting thoughts. Jesus says this in verse 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. John and Peter, they saw the empty tomb. They saw the grave clothes. They saw the head wrap. All the disciples now have seen the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus is like, of course you believe. Any sane person who has had the experience that you guys are having, seeing my body, touching my nails, pierced hands, any sane person who had that experience is also going to believe. But I'm telling you guys, blessed are those who will never have this experience, who will never touch my hands, who will never touch my side, Blessed are those people who've not seen and will still believe who in the world is Jesus talking about? Us. He's talking about every person who comes after this moment, who never has this personal encounter, who will accept it by faith and believe. He's talking about us. And it brings me great comfort to know that when Jesus resurrected from the dead, we were on his mind. Before he went to the cross, he prayed about us. We were on his mind. Friends, we are still on his mind. 
we are still blessed because of faith. And this tells me volumes about what we believe. That true faith, true faith, is beyond any personal experience. We're never going to have what Thomas had. We're never going to have what the other disciples had. We're never going to touch and see and feel the resurrected Jesus. But true faith is beyond that. And we are blessed beyond that. True faith is about evaluation and acceptance of the testimony of Jesus Christ himself. I believe that he did that for me. Specifically, what is it that we are supposed to believe? I think the Apostle Paul sums it up really well in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. It's on the screen behind me. He said, believe that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. What are we supposed to believe? We are to believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That is the foundation of our faith. Without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, there would be no Christianity. There would be no reason for us to gather. There would be no New Life Christian Church. I can tell you, without the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, there would be no hope of salvation ever. It is the very foundation of our faith. And Jesus himself paid the highest price for you and me. And on this day, we celebrate that Jesus is alive. We celebrate that Jesus came out of the tomb. And we celebrate a promise that Jesus made that we believe to be true with all of our hearts that he's coming back again. And when he does, those who have believed will truly be blessed. It comes back to what Jesus said to Nicodemus all those years ago. For God so loved the world. What that means is he loved you and me. He's not talking about planet earth. For God so loved people. He loved us so much that he gave his one and only son. It's the incarnation. God became a man, walked among his creation out of love. For God so loved us that he came to us. That's Jesus. That whosoever believes in him. What are we supposed to believe? That he did all that for us? That he died was buried, and he raised to life. We accept that by faith. We are blessed, even though we have not seen. For God so loved us that he came to us, that whosoever believes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus will not perish. The ultimate penalty of our sin is perishing. It's death eternally into hell. For God so loved us that he came, that whosoever believes in his death, burial, resurrection will not suffer sin's ultimate penalty and go to hell. 
but will instead have everlasting life. So Jesus said, blessed are those who have never seen me and still believe. That's us. Oh, I pray you believe.